What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Falato on Football. This is week two's edition of the show, and it's a pretty devastating show because there were a rash of injuries around the National Football League. Pretty sure the NFL is putting triage tents all over the country. We have big names like Christian McCaffrey dealing with injuries. We have Saquon Barkley that went down with with what looks like a torn ACL that has not been confirmed yet. There will be MRIs done on Monday. Right now, it's about 2 o'clock in the morning on Monday morning, so we do not have that information yet. We have players like Devontae Adams go down with hamstring injuries. We're going to go over all of these injuries. And as for the NFL play, it was a jam-packed, high-scoring affair. There were a lot of uh, interesting games, I guess you could say. The Falcons definitely falconed. Uh, We'll definitely get into that. But let's start with these injuries because they're important. And first, we'll start with Saquon Barkley. Now, Saquon Barkley, he left the game originally for what looked like he came down awkwardly on his elbow. It looked like it could have been a hyperextended elbow. He left for maybe a play or two, and Deion Lewis came in. And then the very next play, it was one of the best runs Saquon Barkley had all season. He hit the A-gap and bounced outside after he got to the second level. And he tried to break out of a tackle, and Eddie Jackson hit him, and it looked like he probably tore it around the time he was hit by Eddie Jackson, and then he was thrown out of bounds, and it just sucks to see, man, because Saquon Barkley seems like he is the kind of guy you want to lead your franchise. He is the consummate professional who says all the right things. He was criticized by former giant great Tiki Barber about his pass protection, during you know media sessions and things this week and he came out and he said he took it as a challenge he doesn't pout he doesn't point fingers and it's really unfortunate that two out of his three years here as a new york football giant have been plagued by injuries last year he had the high ankle sprain he came back it was kind of miraculous that he came back in only three weeks with an injury that usually takes a lot longer to heal but he comes back and he ends up not living up to the potential that he's capable of, at least that we think he's capable of. And that this coming after a rookie season where he won rookie of the year. And now in his third season, it looks like he's it's likely that he's going to miss the entire year. And that's a devastating loss for the New York Giants, a team that didn't dress Wayne Gallman in this game. They went in with one other active running back and then Elijah Penny, who's more of a fullback but can play halfback in a pinch. And it looks like they're going to roll with Wayne Gallman. If they don't pick somebody up, we'll have more clarity on that Monday, maybe Tuesday when they decide to add somebody to the roster. I'm sure they will add somebody. Maybe they'll bring someone like Javon Leak back to the team or Feaster, who's somebody who spent a little bit of time with the team in the training camp portions of 2020. But the devastating loss for sure. Sterling Shepard also left the game. He came down hobbling with what looked like a foot injury and he tried to go back out there and tough it out and play but it just did not work out for him hopefully it's not a broken foot or a fracture and even if it's turf toe that's a pretty bad injury i mean people like to laugh at turf toe because oh you have an injured toe but you can't plant and drive off of a toe how are you going to play receiver if your toe is 
sore and you can't do anything on it. So the the Giants were hit by the injury bug, but so were their week three opponents, the San Francisco 49ers. About midway through the first half, Jimmy Garoppolo seemed to hurt his right ankle and end up leaving the game. And Nick Mullins, a quarterback that the Giants played a couple of years back on Monday Night Football, ends up coming into the game. And it looks like that's who the Giants will be playing next week. And that's not even the most devastating injuries for the 49ers. We're not sure how long Garoppolo will be out, but it doesn't seem like it will be for an extended period of time. But he's probably not going to play in week three. But Nick Bosa... Drafted second overall in 2019, one of the best edge rushers in the league, tore his ACL in week one. He's done for the season, more than likely. Raheem Mostert, somebody else who seems like the first drive of every game this season, the two games this season, I guess you could say, he ends up having like a 70-plus yard touchdown play. Last week against the Cardinals, it was that little arrow route in in a split backfield he just ran a little arrow route something i wish the giants utilized much more he caught the ball and raheem Mostert's one of the fastest guys in the nfl so he just outran everybody to the end zone and this year i think it was like the first or second play of the game he had an 80 yard touchdown running against the jets but he ends up leaving the game with some sort of knee issue so the 49ers are really really beat up right now and the giants get to play them in week two and it's the 49ers second straight road game second straight game in metlife stadium I'm not 100% sure if they're going back to California or they're just going to stay in New Jersey since they're playing in the same stadium against the Giants. They just got done playing the Jets. So that's up in the air right now. That's a lot of travel if they do go back. And that team's pretty beat up. So the Giants are looking at a much easier opponent right now, but the Giants are also weak. So we'll see what the injury report kind of looks like as the week progresses. But we're not talking about that matchup right now. We're talking about these injuries. And we also had Christian McCaffrey who suffered what looked like an ankle injury on a touchdown run. Now, there's going to be an MRI tomorrow. It doesn't seem like it could be something too serious, not something that can miss the whole season. But if it is a high ankle sprain, that's going to be damning, and that's going to really suck for anybody who owns Christian McCaffrey in fantasy, and it's going to really suck for the Carolina Panthers, a team that is trying to kind of stay alive in the NFC South now that they dropped two games in what looks like a very, very good division. Drew Locke, quarterback of the Denver Broncos, seems like he sprained his AC joint. Might be sidelined for two to six weeks. Happened early on in the game. He fumbled the football, landed awkwardly on his right shoulder, and it looks like he's going to miss some time. And it's going to be the Jeff Driscoll show. And I don't know if you guys know about Jeff Driscoll. He played a little bit of college football at Florida before transferring out of Florida to, I think, Louisiana Tech. And Jeff Driscoll is somebody who just always finds his way onto the football field, whether it's with the Bengals or the Lions. He just always finds his way out there. It kind of reminds me of Fred Jackson, who was with one team, the Buffalo Bills, but he just always found his way out there because there were always injuries that led to him going out there. You can look at Frank Gore that way. because I feel like Frank Gore is a player who has just been in the NFL forever, was once a great running back, and now is just a very good professional that latches onto rosters and the running back ahead of him tends to get hurt and he ends up seeing 16 carries in a game doesn't seem like a 37 year old should be getting that kind of workload but somehow some way that materializes so good for frank gore i guess jerry judy of the broncos also suffered an injury doesn't seem to be serious he left the field without assistance but he did not return in the game other players around the league cam Akers left 
the Eagles-Rams game. He's the Rams rookie running back out of Florida State, second-round pick with a rib injury in the first drive of the game. And he was questionable return, then he was downgraded to out. Rib injuries can linger. They're kind of dangerous, but you can also play through that kind of pain with a padded vest. But if he cannot do that, it's going to be the Malcolm Brown show for the Rams who beat up on the Eagles. Anthony Barr hurt his right arm. He's the Vikings linebacker in their loss to the Indianapolis Colts. Devontae Adams left the game with hamstring tightness and he did not return. So we're going to have to monitor to see how serious that hamstring injury is. Tack McKinley got injured with a groin. He is a defensive end for the Atlanta Falcons. Caleb McGarry hurt his knee. He is a tackle for the Falcons. Ricardo Allen is a safety for the Falcons and he hurt his elbow as well. So there was just a lot of injuries and there's even other ones that you can kind of go through, which I will. Paris Campbell of the Indianapolis Colts seemed like he might've suffered a torn ACL. They was carted off the field early in the Colts game. But x-rays came through, and it doesn't seem like it is that. So we're going to have to wait and see what his injury is. But Malik Hooker, who is a very talented safety, the Colts did not pick up his fifth-year option because he can never stay healthy. He tore his Achilles. So he's done for the season, and it sucks. I love Malik Hooker coming out of Ohio State. He's an absolute stud. It's very hard to find a true single high safety with exceptional range. And Malik Hooker possesses that, but he just cannot stay healthy. And that's a devastating loss for the Indianapolis Colts. They also have the Chargers. And the Chargers, it's a little bit weird because Tyrod Taylor, and we'll talk about this during when we go over the game, Tyrod Taylor was supposed to start this game. It was expected that he was going to start this game. But in the pregame, he had some shortness of breath and his chest was hurting him and he couldn't start. So Justin Herbert just was given the reins. So we hope Tyrod Taylor is okay. You got to monitor that situation. We'll get into that a little bit later as well. Rashad Perriman ended up coming down with an injury. He is the receiver for the Jets. It was an ankle injury because, I mean, the entire Jets receiving core is just decimated by injuries. Denzel Mims out with a hamstring. Jamison Crowder didn't play with a hamstring. I mean, we got Braxton Berrios out there catching touchdown passes right now. And their center, Connor McGovern, also hurt his hamstring in this game. So that's definitely not ideal for the New York Jets, who seem like they might be vying for the number one overall pick. Things could get really interesting in April if they possess the number one overall pick and Sam Darnold continues to not show enough, even though he has absolutely nothing around him. There's just not a lot the guy can do. Solomon Thomas, who was a defensive tackle, he's somebody I forgot to mention when I was talking about the 49ers, left the game with a knee injury as well. Hopefully it's not a torn ACL, but time will tell. Marcus Blair hurt his knee. He's a safety slot player for the Seahawks. That was on Sunday Night Football, so a lot of people probably ended up seeing that. And then Brennan Sheriff, the right guard for the Washington football team, suffered a right knee injury too. So we'll have to wait to see what exactly happens there. So there was a lot of injuries around the NFL, and it's absolutely devastating to really talk about, to really think about, because we expected a lot of injuries to happen. There was a truncated offseason. There was not a lot of training camp, and we expected players to kind of come down with a lot more soft tissue injuries and things of that nature. Some of these players may not have taken their training as seriously as they probably should have, but that's not even a product of a lot of these injuries. Some of them were just freak injuries, and football's also just a very, very violent game played by some of the top athletes in the world. But let's dive into this giant game real quick. This will be the first game that we go over. It was a 17-13 loss for the New York football Giants as they drop to 0-2, which is really unfortunate because the Bears go to 2-0, and I really don't think the Bears are that much better than the New York Giants, but they won here at home. But teams that 
typically that are starting 2-0. There are nine teams right now that are 2-0, and the teams that are 2-0 are the Buffalo Bills, the Kansas City Chiefs, the Baltimore Ravens, the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Tennessee Titans, the Arizona Cardinals, the Los Angeles Rams, the Seattle Seahawks, the Green Bay Packers, the Chicago Bears. Those are all the 2-0 teams right now. 62% of teams that start 2-0 typically make the playoffs, and now that could be even more expanded because seven teams from each conference will make the playoffs for the first time in NFL history. There will be three wild card teams. So these teams are obviously in a great spot right now. And I look at the Bears, man. 17 to 13. They scored 17 points in the first half and got shut out in the second half. The New York Giants defense stepped up. They were opportunistic in the second half, even though. The Bears' rushing attack was able to run the football down the Giants' throat in the fourth quarter, which was pretty frustrating with David Montgomery. But the Giants were resilient, man. They played really, really tough, really, really strong football down the stretch. They battled through a lot of injuries in this game. The offense was pretty pitiful in the first half. They couldn't establish the run, typical you know, of the New York Giants that we're accustomed to these days, which is really, really unfortunate. But it seemed like Daniel Jones was finding a lot of success with the intermediate to deep dig route from Sterling Shepard. It seemed like the Bears were really aggressive playing the short, quick game kind of routes from Evan Ingram and the flats and the drags. And that was one of the plays on that third and six, I think it was, where Robert Quinn stripped Daniel Jones was it was like a replacement route where Sterling Shepard ran a drag route and then there was going to be a replacement drag route right behind Sterling Shepard, and Shepard was open right from the onset. He beat the guy off the line of scrimmage, and Daniel Jones cocked back to throw the football, but he double-clutched the ball because he saw the safety, that overhang defender, kind of coming down. And then Daniel Jones sort of panicked, held onto the ball a little bit too long, didn't want to throw that football, put Sterling Shepard into an awkward spot. I think he probably should have pulled the trigger there. He also had one-on-ones on the outside, at least definitely to the right of the screen he did. And it seemed like the receiver won outside leverage, but it was for not. I mean, I thought the Bears had a pretty good game plan defensively to take away that quick game that the Giants had so much success with on Monday Night Football against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And then after the Saquon Barkley injury and after the Sterling Shepard injury, teams could really give up mentally there. It could take a lot for a team to kind of overcome that. But in the second half, they came out swinging. And they put themselves into a position. There were some play goals by Jason Garrett, especially with eight seconds left in the game where he threw the clear out, little flat route to Deion Lewis. Didn't really make any sense to me. There's, You're not getting anything out of that play. Why not take two shots to the end zone there? That, that, that was definitely a head scratcher. So there were some play calls like that, but Garrett did make some adjustments. He was able to move the football. He mounted, well, Daniel Jones, but he orchestrated Jason Garrett, three double-digit drives, an 11, a 13, and a 10-play drive in the second half. Something to be said about that. It was up-tempo. It was get the football out of Daniel Jones' hand, attack the intermediate parts of the field, and don't allow that pass rush to get to him. And I felt like they did a solid job at that, the New York Giants, that is. But the defense, man, the pass rush needs to get better. Mitchell Trubisky was extending plays with his feet like crazy the entire game, finding guys like Darnell Mooney down the field. The Giants would send four or five guys and just get just gobbled up by that Bears offensive line. And that's that's an issue. The pass rush needs to get better. And I know the Giants had four sacks in that game, and that's great. 
but in some key third down situations the Giants could not get off the field and that's reminiscent of last year's team under James Betcher now I don't think that's what it's going to be under Patrick Graham and I'm not insinuating that whatsoever but that's what happened in Chicago and that's a problem but both teams missed a field goal in this game Giants put themselves in a position they were resilient they put themselves in that position to win this football game but they couldn't finish it off and like I always say man Good teams find ways to win. Bad teams find ways to lose. I don't think the Giants are a bad team right now. I think they're a young team. I think they're a team that just lost their leader in that game. They were still able to be competitive, but they're not a good team yet because good teams will find ways to win that football team. Hopefully, they'll get there under this leadership with Joe Judge, Jason Garrett, and Patrick Graham. Before we get to the rest of the games, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, yeah. Now with the Seahawks winning on Sunday night football, there are 10 teams, not nine teams that are 2-0. So those odds of the Giants making the playoffs are even slimmer. But anyways, let's get in to this Cowboys-Falcons game because, oh, my, the Falcons falconed. And I just don't understand how this team consistently can find itself into positions to find ways to one-up losses that were so bad in the past. Now, obviously, the 28-3 to loss is worse than this just because it was in the Super Bowl. So it's kind of like apples to oranges. But just like last week with the Chicago Bears, Dallas had a 2% chance to win this football game. And this is a stat I heard from Elias. (laughs) in situations where teams had zero turnovers and scored 39 points in the history of the NFL since they started recording this kind of stuff, the teams in those situations were 440 and zero. That's 440 wins and zero losses. And the Falcons found a way to blow this game against Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys. Oh my. How ridiculous is that? 440 other teams were in this situation where their team never turned the ball over and they scored 39 points and every single one of those 440 teams won. That's asinine when you think about it but the falcons will falcon that is the most falcon thing to ever falcon in the falcons of falcons it really is and of course it happens with the dallas cowboys they could have started 0-2 as well but instead they get this win i don't know what the falcons were doing with that onside kick i don't know if you guys saw it but the falcons were just waiting for the ball to roll 10 yards and none of them looked like they knew what the hell they were doing and the ball goes 10 yards and they don't recover it and dak prescott and the cowboys lead the drive downfield greg zernline kicks the kick to freaking end the game it was absolutely crazy i mean this does not look good for dan quinn whatsoever 
And this, he's a defensive coach, and this defense can't stop anything right now. And the Falcons just continue to shoot themselves in the foot. You had a play where Russell Gage, it was a trick play. Russell Gage throws a perfect pass to Julio Jones, who drops it in the end zone. It's just nothing is going right for this Falcons team. And I don't remember a quarterback starting 0-2 playing as well as Matt Ryan has played. I would be so pissed off if I was Matt Ryan. And even Calvin Ridley, who has two touchdowns on, I think, both games right now. It's just that team can just not get out of their own way in certain situations. They take a huge lead against the Dallas Cowboys. You're beating up the Cowboys in their house, and then you go and you blow it in a very, very embarrassing fashion. You just can't get more Atlanta Falcon-like than that. Atlanta dominated time of possession forced three turnovers and still found a way to lose this football game that defense man if you're playing or if you have any fantasy players that are going up against the atlanta falcons defense start them and feel good about it moving on to the lions at packers matt patricia does not seem like he's long for this head coaching thing the packers are look like a very Good football team. A lot of people doubted Aaron Rodgers. And in this game, he didn't light the world on fire like he did in the previous affair. He was 18 of 30 for 240 yards and two touchdowns. But Aaron Jones had 18 carries for 168 yards and two touchdowns. And then he had four catches for 68 yards and one touchdown. So it was the Aaron Jones show against the Detroit Lions who just are no match for the Green Bay Packers and are vying for a top five pick in this upcoming 2021 fantasy draft they only had 25 minutes time of possession green bay dominated the time of possession had 488 yards to detroit's 307 and the matthew stafford led lions just couldn't really get much going on the ground through the air and the packers dominated this game and that's all i have to say about that but a more exciting game was the Jacksonville Jaguars against the Tennessee Titans in Tennessee, a 33-30 victory for the Titans, but Gardner Minshew was leading a drive before an unfortunate interception where the ball was somewhat tipped and it went up in the air and it was picked off by the Titans. But Minshew almost led this comeback, and Minshew kept this game really, really competitive all the way till the final snaps. The Titans were sweating this one, man. Minshew had 339 yards passing, three touchdowns, but he had those two picks. One of them, again, was a tip pass kind of to end the game, which sucks. Ryan Tannehill lit this game on fire with four TDs, 239 yards, uber efficient, 18-24. Johnu Smith had two receiving touchdowns in this game. Derrick Henry couldn't really get much going on the ground, which is definitely of concern. I mean, Jack Conklin is no longer there. He's with the Cleveland Browns now, and they drafted the kid from opposite of Andrew Thomas at the University of Georgia, Isaiah Wilson, but it doesn't seem like they're really able to generate the same rushing attack that they had in the years past without Jack Conklin, which is concerning for sure, especially in this kind of game script where you expect the Jacksonville Jaguars to be behind, Tennessee Titans at home, Titans want to run the football, that is their identity, and Jacksonville was just able to kind of Keep moving the chains against this team, against this Tennessee Titans. Defense was just somewhat beat up. They don't have a Dory Jackson right now. And you look at the time of possession here, Jacksonville was able to possess the ball. They were able to run the football with James Robinson, a 
undrafted rookie from Illinois State. 16 carries for 102 yards and a touchdown on the ground on the road against a potential playoff team in the Tennessee Titans, a 2-0 team. That is, and Jacksonville had 30 first downs in this game. They just could not get over the hump. But man, Thursday night football is Jacksonville Jaguars against the Miami Dolphins. That's must-watch television. I mean, I don't know about you guys. I'm all in on Gardner Minshew. I love the mustache. I love this kid's swag. I love what this kid's about. He seems. I mean, I I didn't really get to talk with him down at the Senior Bowl. But I saw him down there and saw how he interacted with the other quarterbacks, Daniel Jones being one of them. He definitely had a personality about him for sure. He definitely has some sort of aura around him where he gravitates a positive vibe. And I can see why people would like a player like Gardner Minshew. So maybe they'll be able to get to 2-1 and one against the Miami Dolphins, a team that is definitely struggling. And speaking of those Miami Dolphins against the Buffalo Bills, they almost pulled off an upset. And it was a 31-28 to victory for the Buffalo Bills. But Miami was driving in the fourth quarter, made this a game at a 15-point fourth quarter to make the Bills fans sweat down in Miami. But Josh Allen, man, whew, went crazy. Again, 417 yards to the air, four touchdowns in this game. Wasn't much going on the ground for the Buffalo rushing attack. Steph Diggs and John Brown both had games. Steph Diggs with eight catches for 153 yards and a tutty. John Brown four for one touchdown, 82 yards, four catches. That is. And the Miami Dolphins, Mike Kosecki, eight catches for 130 yards and a tutty. Devontae Parker had five, 53, and a touchdown. This game was kind of weird because there was lightning in the area, so it delayed the game. So this game ended way after the other games which may have led to Miami doing some real scheming in the locker room to kind of help generate some offense because they were able to put up the 15 points in the fourth quarter, but the Buffalo Bills were able to put up 14 points in the fourth quarter. But it was good to see some life from Ryan Fitzpatrick and his offense. Ryan Fitzpatrick finished the day 31 completions on 47 attempts for 328 yards and two touchdowns for the Miami Dolphins, who dropped to 0-2 and play on a short week against those Jacksonville Jaguars and then we have the Colts and the Vikings the Vikings do not look good Kirk Cousins does not look good in this game whatsoever I mean a lot of people pick the Vikings to win the NFC North and they're 0-2 right now that defense does not look good the Colts who lost Paris Campbell early on in this game who are playing with an injured Michael Pittman no Jack Doyle as tight end were able to come out here and just establish the run play sound defense, and beat up on the Vikings, beat up on an inferior team, a Mike Zimmer team, which is kind of crazy to think about. But Naheem Hines was not a thing in this game whatsoever. It was the Jonathan Taylor show. It was positive game script, so I guess that's to be expected. But Jonathan Taylor had 26 carries for 101 yards and one touchdown. And I'm telling you, Jonathan Taylor is going to be like a top 10 fantasy player going forward. So if you drafted this guy in the fourth round, it's one of those last running backs that you draft and you kind of feel okay about it. Something happened to Marlon Mack. Well, something happened to Marlon Mack, and now you got Jonathan Taylor there. And that's going to be great for anybody who made that decision. And then we had our Crosstown Jets against the San Francisco 49ers, a team the Giants will play next week. Jimmy Garoppolo, again, got hurt in this affair, but he was 14-16 for 131 and two touchdowns before he ended up going down with that injury. It was a lot of Tevin Coleman in this game after Raheem Mostert went down with the injury, but he couldn't do anything. Jets have a pretty good rush defense, except for that one play against Raheem Mostert where he went 80 yards for a touchdown. But other than that, Raheem Mostert had seven carries for 12 yards, and Jarek McKinnon had three carries 
for 77 yards, but that was with a 55-yard long run. So they're just giving up big chunk plays, but this this Jets team can't do anything on offense. They had a touchdown to Braxton Berrios on kind of a broken play. It was a nice extended play by Sam Darnold in this game. Frank Gore had over 20 carries in this game, which is absolutely ridiculous to kind of wrap your head around, but it's they're just not competitive. And Adam Gase offense is not competitive. They're just throwing a lot in the fourth quarter and getting a lot of garbage time fantasy points essentially because they can't do much they don't have the weapons they don't have the ability to establish the run their defense in the secondary is lackluster i feel like they can stop the run fairly well granted they struggled here but they just cannot do enough on offense with adam gase as their head coach who's supposed to be an offensive head coach the time of possession won by the 49ers ironically enough even though a lot of it came in the fourth corner in garbage time, the teams had the same amount of first downs. They each had 17 first downs. It was kind of a slower game, not as many plays run as some of the other games on this slate. The New York Jets, again, they're going to be picking in like the top five. It's not good. It's unfortunate. But they're beat up. They're injured. Their coach does not seem to know how to defeat modern-day defenses. And Sam Darnold, young 23-year-old kid, whatever he is, put into a really crappy spot in his third season. And then we have the Rams and the Eagles. Great to see the Eagles lose one to the Rams. And I thought the Rams did a unique job getting their playmakers the ball in space through carries, jet sweeps, and things of that nature, end arounds. Because they had Daryl Henderson, who had 12 carries for 81 yards and a touchdown. Malcolm Brown had 11 for 47. Robert Woods had 3 for 19 and a tutty. Cooper Cup had 2 for 19. Cam Akers had 3 for 13 before he went down with a rib injury. And then Van Jefferson had a 1 for negative 1. And Jared Goff only threw the ball 27 times, completing 20 for 267 yards and 3 touchdowns. Pretty efficient. Carson Wentz, 43 attempts, 26 completions, 242 yards, 0 touchdowns, 2 interceptions, 1 touchdown on the ground. Miles Sanders looked good on the ground, 20 for 95 and a touchdown. He was active he was didn't look limited to me at least i mean you get 20 carries on the ground your hamstrings probably feeling pretty damn good and the rams just came out to philadelphia and beat this team up the rams are the superior team the better offense like i said i think mcveigh is being creative with how he gets his playmakers the ball and the three touchdowns from jared goff all went to one person and that was tyler higby the eagles focused on stopping robert woods and cooper cup through the air so the adjustments from Sean McVay was we'll get these players the ball on end rounds and jet sweeps and we're going to target Tyler Higby somebody that you guys are leaving a linebacker on or a safety on and Higby is a big large man so we had five for 54 and three touchdowns on five targets so if you had Tyler Higby on your roster you're probably happy right now and future reference for Jim Schwartz and whoever's playing the Rams don't leave Tyler Higby alone in the end zone <laughs> or with a much smaller defender because he's an absolute beast as for the philadelphia passing attack deshaun jackson was six for 64 on nine targets he's going to break out one of these games with one of those two touchdown games that deshaun jackson tends to have he's getting a good target share of the offense but he's probably going to be on a lot of people's fantasy benches because he's not breaking through yet zach Ertz was five for 42 jalen rager four for 41 and miles sanders also pitched in with seven targets three for 36 broncos were able to be pretty competitive against the Steelers in Pittsburgh but Pittsburgh pulled away 26 to 21 Ben Roethlisberger had a pretty important cross his body throw to Deontay Johnson in the end zone to kind of help 
elevate this lead for the Steelers in the fourth quarter. Ben finished the game with 311 passing yards, two touchdowns, and one interception. James Conner had a garbage 59-yard run. He finished the game with 16 for 106 and one. Very unfortunate if you're playing against James Conner to see, you know, the last final minutes of the game. Two minutes left, he busts off a 59-yard run. Is too slow to finish the run off to get into the end zone. But that's fantasy football right there. And then Deontay Johnson had 13 targets in this game. Now he got in the end zone. Not a lot of people want to acknowledge the fact that Deontay Johnson's a real thing, but the dude had 13 targets. Deontay Johnson is real, and he's still on free agent wires. So make sure you pick him up. I know it's not sexy right now, even though he just put up this stat line, but Big Ben looks for him, and their offensive coordinator designs plays for him, and he's going to help this offense because he has the targets. He has more targets than Juju in both of these games. Juju finished with eight targets, seven for 48. Chase Claypool had a 84-yard touchdown catch in this game, which was just along the sideline, showed great balance along the sideline, beat the defender, and just he's an absolute freak of an athlete. The dude's like six foot five, and he can run like a four three eight. That's incredible. So this receiving core is going to be really, really exciting. And Big Ben, he's airing it out. 40, 41 passing attempts. I'm sorry. But then again, Drew Locke doesn't get hurt in the first quarter. Do the Broncos win this game? Possibly. They could be one on one right now. And Jeff Driscoll jumped in. Looked pretty good. Had a nice touchdown pass in this game by the uh, front pylon. He had 256 yards passing, two touchdowns, had the one interception. Melvin Gordon was able to rush the ball 19 times for 70 yards. Noah Fant had a touchdown. Melvin Gordon had a receiving touchdown. That was the one I was referring to earlier. Cortland Sutton had three catches for 66 yards on six targets. But the Pittsburgh Steelers are the better team. But Denver gave him a run here. Denver's a beat-up football team. And they were lucky to have Cortland Sutton out there. And Jerry Judy ends up kind of getting hurt in this game, too. So that really sucks for the Vic Fangio-led Denver Broncos, who lost Von Miller, who Bradley Chubb's coming back from an injury. They're just getting beat up, and they're getting nicked, and it's now they lost their quarterback for at least two to six weeks in Drew Locke. So it's just, that's a mess. As for the NFC South, we have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers getting their first win, Tom Brady's first win as a Tampa Bay Buccaneer in his first home game as a Tampa Bay Buccaneer against the Teddy Bridgewater-led Carolina Panthers. Tom Brady did not have a great game statistically, 23 or 35 for 217 yards, a touchdown and an interception. This was a Leonard Fournette show. Now, Ronald Jones had a touchdown early on in this game, looked like a smash spot for Ronald Jones. Then Ronald Jones put the ball on the ground, and Ronald Jones found his butt on the bench and that led to Leonard Fournette having 12 carries for 103 yards and two touchdowns one of them being 46 yards which is kind of incredible when I think of Leonard Fournette and I watch him run he looks slow to me but he outruns defensive backs he's the slowest looking fast player I've ever seen in my life but you know what good for him good for him he was able to get cut by one crappy well I mean they're one and one and almost two and oh but the Jacksonville Jaguars Florida team and go with another Florida team Led by Tom Brady, where you have actual Super Bowl aspirations. Hmm. Sometimes it works out for you, right, Leonard? Mike Evans, 7 for 104, touchdown, 10 targets on this game, and Tom Brady spread the ball all over the field to his targets for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. LaShawn McQuay had 7 targets, Leonard Fournette had 5, OJ Howard, Scotty Miller, Justin Watson had 3, Ronald Jones had 2, Rob Gronkowski had 1. So it was just, just give the ball to everybody. Because the Carolina Panthers actually stayed in this game for a little bit. DJ Moore had 13 targets. Robbie Anderson had 10. Mike Davis had 8. So Mike Davis was getting out there. Christian McCaffrey got dinged up in this game. 
Bridgewater threw two interceptions, but threw for 367 yards to keep his team in this game. Christian McCaffrey goes down with that injury. Got, got Mike Davis getting eight catches for 74 yards and eight targets. You know, like I said, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, double-digit targets in this game. But the Tampa Bay Buccaneers prevail, and we'll see uh, how good this is. Uh, this Tampa team can actually be. Definitely seems like it's a work in progress. Bruce Arians is very, very cut through as a coach. I mean, Ronald Jones makes one mistake. He gets put on the bench. I mean, that's happened to Ronald Jones a bunch on this team. It's got to be uh, very nerve-wracking to play for a coach like Bruce Arians. But, hey, demands perfection. I respect it. The Washington football team lost to the Arizona Cardinals 30-15. to Dwayne Haskins did not look good once again. Had a garbage touchdown to their best receiver, Terry McLaurin, who is an absolute stud. But Dwayne Haskins finishes this game 19 of 33 for 223 yards and a touchdown. Kyler Murray showing that he could be an MVP type of player. 286 yards, a touchdown, an interception, but then added eight carries for 67 yards and two touchdowns on the ground. Very, very exciting player to watch. Was able to slow down that pass rush of the Washington football team, a team that had eight sacks against Carson Wentz just last week. They had three against Kyler Murray in this road game for the Washington football team. Antonio Gibson had his first touchdown of or in his NFL career, and the Washington football team just couldn't get anything really going on offense. I mean... Dwayne Haskins is their quarterback, and he's just not it. At least it doesn't seem like it as of right now. They were able to mount some sort of offense in the second half. They were put 12 points on the board in the fourth quarter, but it was just too little too late, I guess you could say. And DeAndre Hopkins continues to be a stud. Nine targets, eight catches for 68 yards, and a touchdown. Then we have the Chiefs and the Chargers now. Chiefs and the Chargers... This is a very unique game. I referenced it a little bit earlier. Tyrod Taylor did not play in this game. And Justin Herbert, who probably did not receive a lot of snaps, if I'm going to be honest, during the week because Tyrod Taylor was expected to start, he ends up starting this game and plays really well against Steve Spagnuolo's defense, like really, really well, and brings this Chargers team to overtime, but loses. 23 to 20 and there was one really boneheaded mistake that Justin Herbert made and that was that cross body interception where he threw it into like double coverage and it was picked off but other than that man he looked really good has great zip on the ball extends the plays with his legs he's a big body he can kind of take a beating out there which you don't want him to finishes the day 22 of 33 for 311 yards a touchdown and an interception Another big story about this game, though, is Joshua Kelly having 23 carries for 64 yards. Not a great stat line, but getting 23 carries, that's huge for somebody who's still on the waiver wire. So you got to look at it. And I know this was somewhat of a positive game script for most of the game, but then Pat Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs turned it on in the fourth quarter to score 11 points to bring this to OT. And then Anthony Lynn makes a, oh, a cringe decision in overtime where he punched the ball on a fourth and short, punched the ball back, and he's around like the 30, his own 30, 35 yard line. So he's on his side of the field. But he punts the ball back to Pat Mahomes. And all they need to do is get in a field goal range to win. And that's what they do. And Harrison Bucker kicks like a 58 yarder to win it. But why would you punt the ball? That's so conservative, man. You need to go for it there. You can't give the ball to Pat Mahomes in overtime in this situation. It just, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But he did. And then at the end of the game, he says once Tyrod comes back, after everything Justin Herbert showed, which Herbert showed a lot in this game, it's going to be Tyrod's team again. And I think that's Donkey. And I think Anthony Lynn, he's not quite 
Bill O'Brien, but he's trending along that donkey line where you're making donkey decisions. And I, I really do disagree with the fact that he didn't do something. He was running the ball really well at that time of the game in the fourth quarter, picking up one, two, three-yard gains, and it's fourth and one. You can line up into something exotic, and you can go for it there. And I know it's the game if you don't get it, but giving the ball back to Pat Mahomes in that situation, its that's a rough decision to make, and it's very, very conservative, and it's helped cost him the game, which is unfortunate, for sure. And as for Kansas City, Tyreek Hill had a ridiculous 54-yard catch here, 11 targets, 5 catches for 99 yards. Travis Kelsey, 9 for 90 and a touchdown on 14 targets. Clyde Edwards-Alaire had 8 targets, 6 for 32, only 10 carries for 38 yards. Didn't really get much going on the ground whatsoever but i think it's going to bounce back kansas city chiefs are going to mean a lot of positive game scripts this one wasn't exactly that because the chargers were able to play really well throughout this game and justin herbert almost got his first win in his first start against the former mvp two years ago and the super bowl champions of last year and this chargers defense give it to gus bradley it seems like pat mahomes and this chiefs team somewhat struggles with Gus Bradley and that defense I mean the Chargers man 39 minutes time of possession to 28 of Kansas City that one turnover was bad couple plays by the coaching staff not great Chargers were able to outgain the Chiefs 479 yards to 414 Chargers had 28 first downs or 23 of the Chiefs but at the end of the day you just look at the scoreboard just wasn't enough and then you had the Ravens against the Texans. Ravens win 33-16. to Lamar Jackson doesn't really need to do that much. It's just a big rushing attack game. Mark Ingram had 9 for 55 for one touchdown. Lamar Jackson 16-54. to J.K. Dobbins 2 for 48. Gus Edwards 10 carries for 73 yards, 22-yard long. So he didn't have to do that much to the air. Houston Texans... They're not on the level of the Baltimore Ravens, and it sucks for the Texans because they're 0-2 right now, and they started off with the Chiefs and the Ravens. It's got to be the hardest two games that you could start off with. It really does. And you see DeAndre Hopkins doing work. David Johnson was 11-34 for here. Not great. But if you're a, if you're a Houston Texans fan, it, it's going to get better for you. But I don't know if this is going to be a playoff team because that – AFC South, a division that we don't tend to think of as a very good division, has a Colts team, has a t- Titans team. are pretty good. Jaguars have been playing good. I don't know how long that will last, if I'm going to be real. When you have to play the Ravens, though, and you have to play the Chiefs in the first two weeks, it's probably not going to be a good time, as they say. And as for the last game, as I continue to ramble on here, it was an exciting Sunday night football affair with the Seattle Seahawks ending up pulling out the win 35-30 to to cover the spread against the New England Patriots, who went for two and missed it, by the way. So the spread was uh, almost a push. There was a call in this game in the fourth quarter where it was a third and one, and Russ Wilson threw it about 35 yards downfield just out of the reach of, I want to say, Tyler Lockett. That made me think. And made probably everyone think, Pete Carroll, what are you doing throwing the football here when you're playing Bill Belichick and a Patriots team where you threw a football in a similar situation that resulted in an interception and you losing a Super Bowl? Just give the ball to Chris Carson. You're, you're picking up three, four yards every time. It was, it was kind of nuts, the call. Almost bit them in the butt 
I mean, Cam Newton had the ball on the goal line after already having 11 for 47 and two touchdowns on the goal line. But it was a great play by Seattle, by Jamal Adams, who was a wrecking ball near the line of scrimmage, but was kind of burnt a lot in coverage. Every time I looked up, Julian Edelman was catching a ball over him, it seemed like. Seattle Seahawks, though, that, that really almost burnt you, but they were able to ascend to 2-0. So you got to applaud them for that. Chris Carson, 17 for 72. Russell Wilson had five carries for 39. Carlos Hyde, five for 22. Travis Homer, three for 21. It's Chris Carson's backfield. Those other guys will be annoying for fantasy football, though. I assure you of that. DK Metcalf and Stefan Gilmore were just going at it all game. It was pretty exciting to watch. DK Metcalf had him beat on a horizontal cross where it was really good coverage, but it was a beautiful throw by Russell Wilson, who may have the best ball placement in the entire NFL. And the dude was 21 for 28. 288 yards and five touchdowns and he had one interception which wasn't his fault greg olson tips the ball in the air and a patriots player picks it off and runs it back for a touchdown to open the game it was like the first or second play of the game ridiculous stupid didn't matter i guess at the end result though doesn't look good for the stats although it's not russell wilson's fault should never count against russell wilson it's 100 on greg olson who had one target in that game probably because of that reason can't be a dumb dumb and do that it's unfortunate though for anybody who was playing against the Patriots defense, that is. As for the Patriots receiving game, Julian Edelman, 11 targets, 8 catches for 179 yards. Nikhil Harry, 12 targets, 8 catches for 72 yards. Does not look explosive whatsoever. Has good hands, it seems like, though. But he does not look like a first-round pick out there. I'm just going to be blatantly honest. And the really sad storyline about this game, leading into it was... James White was a surprise inactive because his mother and father were in a car accident and his father died. His mother's in critical condition, so our condolences go out to James White. That's absolutely a horrendous situation, tragic, and we wish nothing but the best for the mother. Things like that are just so much bigger than football, and that's evident. But, hey, this has been Flato on Football. All right. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Please rate, subscribe, and review this podcast. And I'll talk to you on Friday, Flato's Fantasy Corner. And I'll talk to you next week after week three. Hopefully there will not be as many injuries. Take care now. What does it take to be an entrepreneur? And how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the PropG Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.